This morning I'm going to ask you to make your way to the Old Testament book of Esther. This will be the second time in the last few months that we've been in the book of Esther. Esther chapter number 4. We're going to be in Esther chapter number 4. So you go Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. If you get to the book of Psalms, just go a few books back, you'll find Esther. Okay, Esther chapter number 4. Now, before reading our text verses this morning, I will let you know that we'll be looking at probably the entirety of chapter number 4, but we won't be reading those uh, to get us started. Esther chapter number 4, we're going to read verses 15 and 16. Esther chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. The title of the message this morning is, If I Die, I Die. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time to be in your house today. Lord, we do, I trust, look forward to the first day of the week where we can gather together with fellow saints and uh, worship you in your house. We rejoice in the opportunity before us And Lord, even today in our country, we still do yet have this freedom uh, to exercise our observance of of our religious beliefs and congregate together and worship you and sing praises unto you. And Lord, as well, we want to hear from you. We want to be challenged. We want to be comforted, corrected. And Lord, we want to be motivated to live the life that you want us to live. And especially in today's society, Lord, it appears as though... There are very few that are willing to stand for you and for your truths. Lord, help us to be that type of person that would stand, that would be willing to fight, and yes, even if necessary, to be willing to die for our faith and for the causes that are so important to us as a nation. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn from Esther and uh, bless as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I die, I die. Some causes are worth fighting for. Some causes are worth dying for. Esther so elegantly teaches us this by her own actions. Actions that have been recorded in the posterity of God's Word and reverberate down through the ages as a challenge to us to live as though this godly woman lived. If I die, I die. Now, I am sure that we're familiar with the story of Esther. By God's providence, Esther alone, humanly speaking, is in position to save her people from an entire extinction. She could have attempted to save herself, but yet she acted even if it meant she would die. When confronted by Mordecai, she responded, If I die, I die. Now there are and will be times in our each of our lives where we must take a stand. Where we must determine that the cause is too great 
to pass up. We must determine that we will stand for the cause of Christ. That we will stand for the cause of the Lord's church. That we will stand for our country and we will stand for our families. In those instances, we must be willing to fight. And we must have the attitude that if I die, I die. What can we glean from Esther that will help us adapt and adopt this attitude? That will help us in times where the cause is too great and we must take a stand? We must be willing to fight? We must say, as Esther said, if I die, I die. What can we see from Esther's experience that will help us? There are four components that I want us to look at today. Four components in Esther teaching us how to fight and be willing to die for a cause. Four components. Here they are. First, Esther resolutely rises to the occasion. Secondly, Esther responds by requesting fortification. The third component, Esther realizes the problem with the requested action. And then thirdly, Esther resolves to act in spite of the risks. Esther said, if I die, I die. We must adopt that same attitude. Notice the first component in Esther teaching us how to fight and be willing to die for a cause Esther resolutely rises to the occasion. Look at verse 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Now, we're going to get into the context about what's taking place here. But suffice it to say that Mordecai had uh, sent word to her that she needed, needed to take action. And she is sending the answer back by the messenger. And it is clear from Esther's answer to Mordecai that she is willing to do what is necessary. Now the phrase, rising to the occasion, originated in late 16th century England. It meant then, and it still means, this. To summon extraordinary ability and resolve during uh, pivotal, mo pivotal moments in life work or relationships. And that's exactly what Esther did. She summoned extraordinary ability and resolve and she rose to the occasion. Esther was determined and committed in rising to the occasion. Now let's consider what's happening here. First of all, we think about the cause. The cause. Esther is rising to the occasion due to the cause. Now, recall, and we preached on this a few weeks ago, perhaps maybe uh, even over a month ago, Haman had a hatred for Mordecai. And Haman was, was, was livid and wroth with Mordecai because Mordecai was a believer in the Almighty God, and Mordecai would not bow the knee to Haman. And so Haman constructs this this fallacy to say to the king that Mordecai and his people are contrary to the laws and the king 
of Persia and they needed to be done away with. And so Haman convinces King Achosphorus or Xerxes to exterminate the Jews. The decree is signed and is circulated. The Jews are going to be exterminated. The Jews react to this. In fact, let's read it in in Esther chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. And I told you we'd be looking at a large portion of Esther chapter 4. We begin here in Esther chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, that's talking about the, the decree that the king had signed to exterminate the Jews. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so, here is the cause. The Jews are going to be exterminated by the royal decree of uh, King Achosphorus as he is bidden and I believe deceived by Haman. There will be times in our lives where there is a cause. Do you remember David, when David takes food out to his brothers who are engaged with the Philistines, and uh, Goliath is present and he is mocking God and mocking the armies of God, and all of the soldiers of Israel, including David's brothers, are terrified of Goliath, and David confronts the situation and his brothers try to correct David. And David says in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 29, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And there are times in our lives where there is a cause. Where we must be willing to stand up and say, You know what? I am where I am by the grace of God. I have the ability to meet the cause and to provide for the cause. If I die, I die. How many people do you know in society today, in churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, that have such an attitude that when confronted with the cause, are willing to embrace it as Esther embraced it? You and I need to understand the times in which we live. There is a cause. Notice Esther resolutely rises to the occasion. There is a cause. Her people needed to be delivered from extinction and extermination. And then we notice, secondly, the call. The call. What happens? Esther is made aware of what the king has done. And then I want you to notice, skip down to verses 7 and 8. Actually, let's read verse 6, 7, and 8. Verse 6, So Hatak went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king and to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. Do you understand what's taking place here? Mordecai reaches out to Esther. Esther had sent Hatak to find out why Mordecai was 
in such dire straits and what was going on, what had happened. And, and Mordecai sends a copy of the decree back and he literally calls Esther and charges Esther to act. Esther is the only one at this point that has the ability to go in before the king and save the Jews. Esther finds herself in a particular position whereby she can actually do something about what is happening, about the injustices that are facing her people, the Jews. What would you do? It is high time for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to realize that we are not put here on this earth for our own ease and our own enjoyment of life. Yes, we can enjoy life. We can enjoy the pleasures of life. But that is not your primary purpose for being here. You are put here for a reason. And it just might well be that you find yourself in the position that Esther was in. Esther, think about this. Esther finds herself in this unique position, able to deliver her people, humanly speaking. Now think about this. This scenario in which Esther finds herself has all been ordered by the providence of God. There is no mistake in what God does. There is no chance or happenstance with God. What a coincidence that Esther just happened to be there. No, I want you to think about all of these events that took place that led to Esther being where she was at that time. King Acosphorus has a drunken party with his cronies. And they want to, and by the way, you'll find this beginning in Esther chapter number one. And they want to call Queen Vashti in to lust after her beauty. And Vashti refuses to come. And so the king is going to replace Vashti. And it just so happens that Mordecai. Esther's cousin has been carried captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. What a coincidence. And Mordecai raises Esther as his own daughter. What a coincidence. And then it just so happens that Esther is brought in before the king. And of all the women that are present, it is Esther who obtains favor of the Lord. And the Bible tells us in Esther chapter number 2 that the king loved Esther above all the other women and that she obtained grace and favor in the sight of the king. What a coincidence! This is all by the providential hand of God. God is working all of this out. Esther, this lone Jewish woman, is brought to a place where she can do something about what is happening. This is a scenario ordered by God's providence. Esther is sought out to be the provider. Literally, humanly speaking, there is nobody else that can do what Esther can do. She is the queen. She is a Jew. She knows what has taken place now with Haman and his willingness to pay to have the Jews exterminated. What would you do? You're the only one that can act. I love what Alexander McLaren wrote about this particular incident. Alexander McLaren, you know, great 19th century preacher, he wrote, 
if we are sure that a given course, however full of peril and inconvenience, is in the line of God's purposes, that is a reason for strenuous effort to carry it out. Since some men are to be honored to be His instruments, God's instruments, shall not we be willing to offer ourselves? There is a holy and noble ambition which covets the dignity of being used by Him. When's the last time God used you? Oh, look at all that we have in this country. We have great jobs. We have marvelous homes. We have all of this provision. When is the last time God used you? When is I'm serious. When can you think about the last time that God used you? Oh, we are fat, dumb, and happy enjoying the great United States of America. And when has God used you? When have you been an Esther? There was no one else to meet the need. And then notice, she is the sole source of protection. Look at verse number 14. In verse number 14, and actually let's read verse number 13 as well. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Now stop there. You know I trust the history of the book of Esther and the makeup of the book of Esther. Do you know that God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther? But, but what Mordecai is saying to Esther is, you know what, you're the one person. You're the one person that can act. And if you don't act, we're going to trust God. We're going to rely on God. That's the other source where enlargement and deliverance should arise to the Jews. But then notice, read on. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. How about you? What's going on in your life? What are you doing with your life? You are coasting through life, and you say, oh, coasting, well, you don't know all the things I go through. Okay. But what are you doing for the cause? What are you doing for the cause of Christ? What are you doing for the cause of this nation and the attack of our liberties, which I'll discuss in a little bit, Uh, later on in the message what are you doing Esther said when called and challenged by Mordecai if I die I die you know what Esther did she rose to the occasion what a godly woman a woman that puts us to shame in this country if I die I die oh that God would give us patriots and Christians that would be willing to have the backbone that Esther had. John Stuart Mills wrote this. A man who has nothing for which he is willing to fight, nothing which is more important than his own personal safety, is a miserable creature and has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. Oh, listen, beloved. James in the New Testament stood for the cause of Christ and it cost him his life. Peter stood for the cause of Christ and eventually he was martyred. What will you do? Esther stood. We see in Esther what a display of resolutely rising 
to the occasion. We must move on. Notice the second component that we, leave, that we learn from Esther as she teaches us how to fight and be willing to die if need be. Esther responds by requesting fortification. Esther understood what was needed for her to have the courage and strength to follow through with her resolute persistence and determination and commitment in rising to the occasion. Now we see this in verse 16. Watch what Esther says in verse 16 as she returns this answer to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. You know what Esther's doing? She's requesting fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer are what Esther knew she needed in order to have the courage to go in and do what she said she would do. You know, it's one thing to say you're going to do something. And it's altogether another thing to stand up and do it. I remember in law school and going through all this various training on, you know, how to deliver an opening statement and a closing argument. And, you know, it's one thing to map it out and to you know, put it on paper, and then when you stand before those 12 members of the jury, and you're up there, and everyone else is sitting back there, and the judge is on the stand, and you begin to deliver that closing statement, that closing argument, that's a daunting task. It's a little harder to do. Perry Mason did a great job of it. Maybe Ben Matlock did a good job of it, but I'm going to tell you, it's a lot different when you stand up. It's, it's been said that the longest walk on earth is from the pew to the pulpit. Hey, it's easy to say, oh, I would preach and I would do this. It's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to have the courage and the strength provided by God to actually get up and do it. To actually get in the arena and get your nose bloodied and get muddy and fight for a cause. Esther knew that if she was going to do this, she needed fortification. And that fortification would come in the form of fasting and prayer. Notice Esther understood as she responded by requesting fortification that there was strength in number. Look at what she said. In verse number 16, she says, Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. Listen, beloved, there is strength in number in fasting and praying. Paul, time and again, said, and I'll just quote you, or read to you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, Brethren, pray for us. You know, I'm glad that we pray one for another. I pray for you individually. But you know what's better? If all of us are praying for everybody. None of us are as strong as all of us. And if we are united in our prayer and fasting, there is strength in number. Esther knew that. She didn't just say to Mordecai, Mordecai, you fast and pray for me. She said, gather all the Jews together that are present, all of those that are already fasting and burdened over what's happened. Bring them together and let them know that I am going to rise to the occasion. You tell them what's going on and you tell them to fast and pray for me. Notice the strength in number and the spiritual necessity. She says, 
Gather all these Jews together and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. Now, I would say to you, you say, well, where does it say anything about prayer? In the Bible, when you read about fasting, it is assumed that prayer will accompany that. In fact, 11 verses in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, mention fasting and prayer together. Fasting and praying. Do you know that fasting and praying was practiced hand in hand by some of the greatest saints of God that are recorded in Scripture? You think of a patriot by the name of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 4. And by the way, I'm going to read these to you quickly. You won't be able to turn to them, I'm sure, but, but if you want to jot them down. Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, it says, And it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then David, the man after God's own heart, wrote in Psalm 35 verse 13, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. And then Daniel, the great warrior, Hebrew child, wrote in Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And then in the New Testament, the great missionary apostle Paul and his partner Barnabas in Acts chapter 14 verse 23, Luke wrote these words, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And then of course, our Savior, Jesus Christ, when confronted by some folks that said, Hey, why couldn't your disciples do this? Why couldn't they cast out these demons? Jesus said in Matthew 17, verse 21, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, I want to ask you this. Do you pray for courage and strength for those that are in a position like Esther was to go in and do what they might do in rising to the occasion, even if it means that they die for the cause, do you pray for them? You say, well, brother, I do pray for them. Well, that's great. We should pray for them. And I commend you for that. Let me ask you this. Do, do you fast? When is the last time you fasted about anything? Oh, preacher, that's for the Old Testament. Just read to you two verses from the New Testament. I can go in more in depth. When is the last time you fasted? Fasting is not something that has been done away with. It means that we are sacrificing our physical sustenance, relying upon God to meet the need of the hour. You don't have to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. You don't have to fast even for 3 days and 3 nights. Fasting can be something that you do during the day where you rely upon God and you sacrifice this meal or that meal. But what I am saying is that if Jesus said these kinds of challenges can only be met by fasting and praying, then we're only half doing the job. Esther said, gather all the Jews together and have them fast for me that I might have the courage and the strength and the fortification to go in before the king. Would you fast? Would you pray? And then notice Esther includes self-participation. 
and oh, that we might learn from this. Esther didn't just ask others to fast and pray for her and then she not be involved herself. Notice Esther says here in verse number 16, I also and my maidens will fast likewise. Don't forget that part. Don't forget to assault the throne of God and come boldly under the throne of grace by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to ask for fortification, for courage and strength to do what you alone providentially have the ability to do. Esther responded by requesting fortification. And then notice the third component. Esther realizes the problem with the requested action. What I mean to say by this is that Mordecai called her, challenged her, to go in and speak to the king. Well, now think about this. She's the queen, right? Well, what's the problem with the action requested? She's the queen. She can go in anytime she wants. She is the queen. No, she can't. She can't go in anytime she wants. She is not able to go in anytime she wants. I want you to notice the Persian law. The Persian law. In verse number 16, notice Esther says, And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. Do you understand that for Esther to do what she needed to do, hold on to your seats, she was going to have to break the law. Now, lest anybody should listen to this message on sermon audio and say, well, that cult leader is preaching people are supposed to practice civil disobedience and break the law. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when there are ungodly laws that are imposed upon the people of God, we must obey God rather than men. We must do what God would have us do rather than what men would tell us to do. We must be willing to stand and preach the truths of Scripture and and call out what God says are abominations even if the government says we're not allowed to. Do we understand that? Esther is not permitted to go in unto the king. It is not according to the Persian law. Death was the punishment on all of those that would intrude on the privacy of the Persian king, in this case, Acosphorus, uninvited. You couldn't just go in and see the king whenever you wanted to, even if you were the queen. You could not go into the inner parlor where the king would spend his time, where the king usually was, without being summoned by the king. You were not allowed to do this. There were various reasons why this was done. And yet, Esther, the king's favorite wife, the one who had favor and grace bestowed upon her, the one that the king loved above all others, according to chapter number 2 of Esther, she could not go in uninvited. Look at verse number 8 of Esther chapter number 4. Excuse me, I'm sorry, not verse number 8, verse number 11. Verse number 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death. 
except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. To top all of this off. By the way, this is Esther returning word to Mordecai prior to the interaction that we read about in our text verses. Esther says to Mordecai, I'm not permitted to go in unto the king. I'm not allowed to go to the king. And then to top it all off, there's not just the Persian law that she's concerned about, but now she's thinking that perhaps she's lost favor with the king. Because she hasn't been called to come in unto the king for 30 days. Esther has a grasp of what's going on here. She realizes the problem with the requested action. It's the Persian law. She can't go in. She's not permitted to go in. And so she's going to have to go in by breaking the Persian law. Notice not just the Persian law, but Esther's purpose to act. We just read it in verse number 16. What does Esther say? She says, <coughs> And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. She knows that the law says she can't do it. And she's going to do it anyways. Would you have the courage of Esther? Oh, we talk a big game in the United States. Oh, she's a woman. Man, listen, there are some courageous women in Scripture that have more courage and strength than any man today. Esther said, if I die, I die. I know the law. I'm not allowed to go in, but I'm going in anyways. Esther had the right attitude. She would fight and be willing to die for a righteous cause. Will you? Will you? There are few military leaders that I love more than George Patton. With all of his failures and and, and, and all of his little unique characteristics and his oddities, What a great military mind and what a great patriot. And of course, as a former tanker, you got to love George Patton. Okay, George Patton famously said, better to fight for something than live for nothing. Esther wasn't going to try to save herself. Mordecai had already said, you know, you're probably going to die as well. But Esther was willing to fight for what would be right. She was willing to fight for the liberty of her own people. The great Ben Franklin said, They who would give up an an essential liberty for temporary security deserve neither liberty nor security. And we say it's true today, isn't it? If you don't understand that there's an attack upon our liberties today, you've got your head stuck in the sand and you need to wake up to what's taking place in our nation. Go back and listen to the message that I preached on Haman, the perfect political candidate. It's the same today, beloved. That leads us to our fourth point. the fourth component that we learn from Esther. Esther resolves to act in spite of the risks. She resolves to act in spite of the risks. What are the last words that we read in verse 16? And if I perish, I perish. Esther is literally saying, if I die, I die. I'm going to act. I have been challenged and called and I will rise to the occasion. And I've got the Jews praying and fasting for me. And God is going to give me the courage and strength to break the Persian law and go into the king, even though I haven't been summoned to go to the king. And you know what? If I die, I die. 
When is the last time you said in your heart, this is a righteous cause. And if I die, I die. Esther saw that the risk was worth the reward. The risk was worth the reward. Some people say today, oh, I have to do all to protect my life. And they are as as those that we just read about. They have neither liberty nor life. They're governed by the monarchy that exists today in our nation. And they're not willing to fight or die for anything. Our generation today that has their hands stuck out and is entitled to everything and says, Big Daddy government, just feed me and I'll worship you. God forbid. God help us as a nation. Where are those that were willing to assault the beaches on D-Day and give their lives knowing that if, as they got off of those boats, they were sure to die from German gunfire. And those young men said, if I die, I die. It's a righteous cause. And today, we are fat, dumb, and happy. We enjoy all of the delicacies that our country provides And we will not stand up and say, there is a cause. If I die, I die. Oh, the possibility of being used of God to save her nation drove this godly woman to echo these words. If I die, I die. Oh, beloved, our responsibility to fight and if needed to die for righteous causes, rings in our ears today. I've tried to keep you abreast of somewhat of what is happening in our nation. And I've tried to talk to you about what's going on in our public schools. In Utah, the Davis School District removed the King James Bible from its school. Have you all heard this? They removed the King James Bible from their school. The district was attempting to follow Utah House Bill 374, which was passed in 2022, and it states it is a law which prohibits certain sensitive instructional materials in public schools. It requires a local education agency to to include parents who are reflective of a, ch- of a school's community when determining whether an instructional material is sensitive material. The law defines sensitive material as instructional material that is pornographic or indecent material. Now this law was passed because of the effort of the trans-LGBTQIA community to force pornographic materials on school children in their libraries and in the curriculum. That's why the law was passed. And now we've gotten to the point where they have now said that the not, not the Bible, but specifically the King James Bible, is pornographic and indecent. What twisted, vile, wicked minds to read God's Word and think that it is somehow pornographic or indecent? You say a lot about yourself when you declare God's perfect, inspired, inerrant, infallible, unchangeable word as you describe it as pornographic. Shame on you. You get your mind out of the gutter. And yet, they'll fight against the King James Bible in schools. 
And in Las Vegas, a 15-year-old Las Vegas schoolgirl was forced to perform a pornographic monologue in front of her class. Have you heard about this? The student was asked to memorize, read, and perform a disgusting pornographic monologue for her classmates According to court documents, which were filed on December 29, 2022, her parents were asking for a temporary restraining order against school officials from forcing her 15-year-old daughter to read this garbage. The monologue, which was written by another student in the class, describes a woman coming out as a lesbian to her ex-boyfriend and contains multiple expletives and references to sex. It was so disgusting that this woman, this parent, went to the school board and was reading the monologue to the school board and the school board shut down and cut off her mic because the language was so offensive and disgusting. And yet this 15-year-old girl in the school could be tasked with and told and forced to read this without any of her, her parents having no knowledge of what's going on. And I'll say it again, and I mean no offense to anybody, but if your kids are in public schools, you need to get your mind out of the sand. They are indoctrinating your kids. They are teaching them the LGBTQIA lifestyle. They are recruiting them. I'm not being dramatic this morning. You can find these stories. Google them. They are many. I've just chosen two. You can't even keep up with them. Is there not a cause? We will stand for the Word of God. We will not alter what we believe God says about lifestyles because the government says we have to shut up. Is there not a cause? Are you willing to give up your job? Are you willing to give up family relationships? because of your stand. Are you willing to die for the truth? I'll close with quotes from three of our patriotic founding fathers and historical figures in our country. Samuel Adams wrote, The liberties of our country, the freedom of our civil constitution are worth defending against all hazards. And it is our duty to defend them against all attacks. Included in that is our religious liberty and our First Amendment right to speak. Patrick Henry, you know the famous phrase, quote, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Did he not say, like Esther, if I die, I die? And Nathan Hale famously said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. What a godly, courageous woman Esther was. I know I'm not allowed to go into the king, and the penalty is death. But I'm the only one that can meet this cause head on. I'm going in. You pray and fast for me, and if I die, I die. Oh, that God would give us men and women that would stand as Esther stood. If I die, I die. We looked at four components in Esther teaching us how to fight 
and be willing to die for a cause. Esther resolutely rises to the occasion. Esther responds by requesting fortification. Esther realizes the problem with the requested action, and Esther resolves to act in spite of the risks. You pray and fast for me. I'll pray and fast for you. That we all might be willing to say, you know what? We want to stand for the cause of Christ. We want to stand for this great nation. We want to stand for the Lord's churches. We want to stand for our families. And if I die, I die. Let's pray.